available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, later this year, the first three students will graduate from the distance delivery option of the Registered Veterinary Technologist Program at Sask Polytech in Saskatoon. These three students were able to take most of their classes online, as well as gain experience at a local veterinary clinic that provides large animal care services. Rural areas of Western Canada are not only experiencing a shortage of veterinarians, they are also in need of registered veterinary technologists, or RVTs. They perform many duties and provide valuable assistance to veterinarians. 23-year-old Molly Hastings from Weyburn was the first student accepted into the distance delivery option of the RVT program, and she will talk about her experience so far. The Prairie Green Development Committee recently held its meeting in Banff. Committees evaluated potential new breeding variety lines and recommended the best of the best for registration. This year, the Pulse and Special Crops Committee recommended 16 new lentil lines, 13 pea lines, 5 fava bean and 5 dry bean lines for registration. Dr. Glenn Hawkins is a senior manager and agronomist with DL Seeds in Edmonton. He chairs that committee and says there's some great potential coming forward. After the break, Molly Hastings. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Molly Hastings from Weyburn was the first student accepted into the distance delivery option of the RVT program. She started off as a secretary at the veterinary clinic in Weyburn before enrolling in the program. So Molly, first of all, tell us what it was about the program that uh, pulled you in that you liked. I've always wanted to be a vet tech, but it didn't fit with my lifestyle. I couldn't move away from Wayburn to Saskatoon. My life was here. I needed to work my job to pay my bills. So to go to school, it just wasn't feasible. My manager at Wayburn said, hey, like you should look into this distance program. I think it would be good. And I was like, well, Kristen, I was actually going to come talk to you about it because I had already been looking into it. So that's how it came about, and I applied, and I was the first person to ever be accepted into the program, which was also super exciting. So that's how it came about. When you were working at the office, I imagine you got to see a lot of work that the vets and the vet techs were doing? When you're the receptionist, you kind of see it all. You work with the clients, you're making appointments, but you're also working with the other staff um, at the clinic, which I also think is why... I really enjoyed this program because I knew how a clinic ran and operated before going in. And I just saw how much the techs did and like how much education they provide to the clients and how much more hands-on it was. They do so much and I just wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be a bigger role in the vet clinic and this was the way to do it. Was it a difficult process enrolling in the course? You said that this was the first time that it was being offered. It was super easy, super clear on the website, like when you're going through the application process, the paperwork is super easy. They tell you what you need to fill out for your host clinic and what your host clinic needs to fill out. It was a super easy process for me. So how much time do you spend in your home community? And I understand you also have to spend some time in Saskatoon as well. 
Yeah, if you're in your hometown doing lectures asynchronously, so you don't have to attend lectures live, then you're in clinic a couple of days a week. It just all depends on the semester, like how many days of lecture you have versus how many days of in-clinic you have, which can all be done from your hometown, which I've been doing in Weyburn. And then we come to Saskatoon probably once a semester just for a couple of days just to do those things that our clinic can't do or just refine some of our skills or do some evaluations that we're unable to do at our host clinic. They've really adapted it to make sure that it's stuff we can't do at the clinic. So anything you can possibly do at the clinic, they try and get you to do at the clinic. So you're only coming to Saskatoon for those things that you're unable to do kind of thing. When it comes to testing, is there both uh, theory and uh, practical components? There is. Most classes, um, there is a theory and a practical compartment, which is super nice because you got to be good at your practical that you're doing every day, but you got to know your theory behind it as well. So you test on all levels. We are a mixed animal clinic here in Weyburn, so we do see large animals, and that's one thing that the program's trying to get. They're trying to get people into those mixed practice. So one of the requirements for your host clinic, it has to be a mixed animal practice, which we are here in Weyburn. We are a mixed animal clinic, yeah. Molly, just tell us a little bit about your background. Did you grow up in a farm or uh, did you grow up in, in town? I'm actually from England, where I did grow up with family members, so my grandma in particular and my dad that did work in the farming business, so cows and mainly sheep. I've been here nine years now, and I have not lived on a farm. I live in the city. So now you're starting your practicum, so explain what's involved with that. So your practicum is you're just touching up your skills as pretty much working as an RBT, but you're not an RBT. So you're going around with your RBTs and you're doing things under their supervision, just pretty much refining skills, making sure that you're proficient in everything, getting repetition. So like making sure you're doing it well, taking feedback. So areas of weakness, you're going to get feedback on that. So you're pretty much working for the next couple of weeks under the eyes of the RBT, just working in areas where you need to touch up and just touching up those skills and refining them down so that you're ready when you go out in the workforce and that it's not just like you're diving in kind of thing. Molly, what would you say are common misconceptions about the vet tech occupation? People think that going into this profession, it's like, oh, you get to love dogs and cats all day. That's not what it is. You do, but it's not just that. There is so much that you do in this profession, and you're just doing something new every day. Like, it's constantly a challenging job, but it's also a rewarding job. To me, client education is going to be a big one. I love working with people and working with dogs and just educating them on the knowledge that I've learned um, is going to be a big thing for me. Like passing on what I've learned to other people like, hey, did you know this? Like it's crazy. But yeah, you're doing something different every day. You're meeting new people and you're seeing different pets every day. You're seeing new cases, like new things you've never seen before. It's just, There's something new. It keeps you on your toes. It is a hard job, but it's also a rewarding one. Uh, can you tell us about um, about the clinic that you're at, and do you uh, work on unusual pets at the clinic? 
So we have seen a few. We had a goat in this week, um, and we we have seen a couple of rabbits and rats and stuff. Mainly, those people do tend to go to a clinic that has more experience with exotics. They would rather um, they go see a vet that does that all the time. Um, but as for basic things, yeah, we've seen. Um, yeah, they've seen quite a few snakes. We've seen quite a few different things, birds. But yeah, mainly we're dogs, cats, and cows. But we do also get the odd one that surprises us. Like the goat that came in this week was super cute. So anything else you want to share about your journey? Yeah, I just want to give a major shout out to my clinic. I would not be where I am today without them and my family. They actually one of my uh, vets asked me the other day he's like why do you think you succeeded in this program and I said honestly my co-workers and my family I would not have gone to where I am today without the time that every single staff member of that clinic has put into me and how I've had pushback from nobody they've all been so willing to help me and just so willing to teach me new things and my family have helped me so unbelievably much like if I wanted to go to the clinic to get in on cases, just helping me with my our daughter and my husband, he's been awesome. Um, yeah, it's it's just been a great two years, I guess. Thanks, Molly. There are a few prerequisites to enroll in the distance delivery option of the Registered Veterinary Technologist Program. The applicant needs a grade 12 diploma that includes English and Math 30, as well as biology and chemistry. And the prospective student also needs to volunteer for 40 hours at a mixed animal clinic prior to applying to get an idea what it's like to work in a vet clinic. There is room for eight students in the fall class, and a school official says there are many rural clinics that are willing to work with an interested student. More information can be found on the Sask Polytechnic website. After the break, Dr. Glenn Hawkins with the Prairie Grain Development Committee, and he will be telling us about some new varieties that are being recommended for registration for growers. Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Dr. Glenn Hawkins is the Pulse Breeder for DL Seeds out of Edmonton. And he also sits on the Prairie Grain Development Committee's uh, Special Crop Committee. So talk to us about your meeting at Banff and uh, what kind of recommendations did we see as far as new varieties? Well, we probably saw the largest number of lines up for recommendation that I've seen in my 10 or 11 years on this committee. An emphasis on field pea for sure, because that's always been the emphasis. Five baba bean lines, a good chunk of lentils, and then a few specialty peas and some four or five dry beans. So uh, lots coming down the pipeline here. Uh, let's start with field peas and, and take us through what we saw there and some of the exciting things that producers can look forward to. Well, we, I think it's the first time in a couple of years we've had, actually had a, a marrow fat. So there's a couple of marrow fats coming. There's, uh, we uh, recommended our first forage, forage pea under our new uh, special guidelines. And, of course, then standard yellow peas um, coming now with uh, higher yields always and higher protein. The two outliers or the two things that raised a few questions were uh, one company has has come with uh, yellow two yellow peas that have a substantial yield drag. 
but our committee recommended them based on their uh, work they've been doing on uh, flavor profiles and uh, the uh, ability to uh, process them, downstream processing efficiencies. And tell us about what you recommended for the fava bean line. Uh, fava bean lines, so five lines up for registration, for recommendation, not registration this year, uh, three low tannins, or two low tannins, and uh, three tannins, uh, all very good fits. So we're uh, doing a good job holding, pushing yield up the flagpole a little bit and maintaining uh, protein content and, you know, of course, lodging. Um, trying to hold maturity and even make them a little earlier. So, yeah, some good some good offerings there. And some new lines uh, coming out for lentils? Those probably hit pretty much every class of lentil out there, from small red to large red to greens. We had 16 total, even blacks and French green lentils recommended this year. And what can you tell us about a dry bean? Uh, dry beans is the standard offering, right? Uh, so we had, uh, you, you know, AFC or AAFC in Lethbridge does a good job, as well as the producers in Manitoba. So some new Pinto, three new Pintos recommended, and then the Navy recommended, and one Great Northern. Okay, so these varieties has have been recommended. Uh, what is the process now? You know, each line that's recommended is, is brought forward by representative. Uh, most likely, or most times, it's the breeding organization that's developed the genetics and now now that it's up to the green organization or the representative to find somebody that's willing to license and grow that pea in Canada. So that being said, how long before these varieties are available for producers? There's a couple of things that, that uh, play into that. It's one it's you know how you know what's their merit and how quickly are organizations out there that sell seed looking to replace aging varieties you know so how quickly can they get those agreements in place and then it comes down to how much how much seed is available a lot of these a lot of these lines are coming through on on marginal amounts of seeds you know us as a breeding company at dl seeds for example we try to we try to provide an adequate amount of seed to anything we we license out after it's been recommended to try to speed that process up but it could take anywhere three to five years yet for these lines to hit commercial availability. I think one common concern is that uh, we see producers really get attached to a certain variety. So it can be a challenge, I guess, to get them to look at some of the new varieties that are coming out. We could use CVC Meadow, for example. I think it's still one of the most highly grown yellow pea varieties in Western Canada. I, I'd have to check, but it's 15 plus years old. Yeah, it's it's hard. My my rebuttal to that is we've made some huge advances in genetics, standability, yield, protein content in the last 10 years, and I really I really urge farmers to have a look at that. Dr. Glenn Hawkins is the chair of the Prairie Grain Development Committee, the Pulse and Special Crop Committee Division. 
Here are the top agriculture stories from the week of March 13, 2023. Higher interest rates had little to no impact on Canadian farm land values last year. Farm Credit Canada is reporting average national farmland values jumped 12.8% in 2022, which is the highest increase since 2014. Saskatchewan was above the national average at 14.2% last year, which is well above the 7.4% in 2021. There continues to be strong demand for a limited amount of farmland for sale. Another factor pushing up land bids was an 18.3%. Rise in grain and oilseed values last year, and it's important to note that prices paid for pasture land saw much smaller increases than cultivated land. The Western Canadian Wheat Growers and the Grain Growers of Canada raised awareness for a campaign by the Agriculture Carbon Alliance, calling on politicians to support Bill C-234. It amends the Greenhouse Gas Pollution Pricing Act and still has to go through third and final vote in the House of Commons. The ACA website noted that the current carbon price rebate introduced last year through Bill C-8 does not fully account for the individual breadth. Of Of carbon surcharges applied to farms, it shows that farmers pay a carbon price on essential farming activities like irrigation, grain drying, feed preparation, heating or cooling of barns, and other agricultural growing structures. For farmers and ranchers, Bill C-234 will extend the exemption of carbon pricing for on-farm use of propane and natural gas. Farmers can show their support for the bill by writing to their member of parliament. CP was given the green light in its takeover of Kansas City's Southern Railway. The $31 billion purchase will create the first single rail line connecting Canada, the U.S., and Mexico, covering nearly 33,000 kilometers of track. The merged railway will be known as Canadian Pacific Kansas City, with CP's chief executive Keith Creel as CEO and Calgary as the global headquarters. The decision allows CP to exercise control of KCS as early as April 14th. Saskatchewan will be taking a closer look at issuing depredation tags to deal with the increase in wildlife populations. The issue came up at the annual convention of the Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities. The Reeve of Val Marie, Larry Grant, said the growing deer and elk population is destroying feed stacks, noting that producers on the western side of the province have been going through drought and struggling to access feed. Grant called for immediate action to reduce the numbers, noting that in his area, if they can get it, producers are paying $200 a bale for hay delivered that is being consumed by wildlife. A Canadian-funded milk processing plant in western Ukraine has become an unlikely symbol of defiance in the face of the Russian invasion. The $3 million dairy plant funded by Global Affairs Canada will produce milk, yogurt, sour cream and hard and soft cheeses using milk from local dairy co-ops. Those co-ops will have a stake in the management of the plant, which will employ 30 to 40 people. Construction was halted when Russia invaded, causing investors to pull out. Project manager Andrei Belanovsky says the Canadian government contributed another $2 million to get it up and running again, but shortly after that, the power was knocked out by a nearby missile strike. He adds that the fact the plant is almost finished sends a powerful message to Ukraine's enemy 
that the country has support and will continue to develop despite the war. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarland for more weekly episodes. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.